Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. All right. Hey, if you are a father or an FFA, future father of America, would you please raise your hand? All dudes, all dudes. No, yeah, no, all the dudes, right? If you have dude, dudeness, raise your hand, dudes. Uh, dudeness, old dudes, young dudes, cool dudes, uncool dudes, everybody. Hey, let's give them a hand. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Yes. I did some ultimately dad, dadly things this week. We went camping and, uh, yeah, we did. Stayed in a tent. Yeah. I went out into the wilderness and killed an animal with my bare hands. No, I didn't do that. We bought our animals at, uh, our dead animals at the grocery store like normal people. And uh, yeah, we camped. And so I did some dadly things. Like, how many of you know it's sort of like the dad's role to build the fire? And unfortunately, there were two dads because my dad was there too. And so there was a bit of a, Bethany, is this true? A bit of a wrestling match between my dad, his, how he would build the fire and how, and you, yeah. So, but uh, ultimately I prevailed and I became fire captain for the week. And so I built three roaring fires. Yes. And uh, yeah, we, we burned like $40 worth of the wood there from the camp. It was not cheap. <laughs> it was like not cheap, but it was totally worth it. I had the full stack going on with the airflow. Come on, somebody, you know, just... It was, it was awesome. And uh, I actually was taking a shower, which I do recommend, um, the other day. And I'm like, it was days later. And I'm like, I still smell like smoke, right? Just like the scent of manliness. You know what I mean? Right there. Uh, some may say. Well, hey, we are excited to be together on Father's Day. And uh, I kind of just jumped in in first service without, you know, buttering anybody up. Uh, went all, all into my message. And so I gave you guys that nice little you know, just a story about, about making a campfire. But actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach something that's pretty strong today about fatherhood. And the reason why is because on Father's Day, you know, I think it's important for us to, to recognize what God has established uh, in, the, in the role of a father. And in our culture, yeah, I didn't even say anything good, but I'll take it. You know, it's awesome. In our culture, fathers are under attack. And it's interesting because there's been a... Um, there's been a, an agenda here even since I was a small child. Because I remember years ago watching TV, just the, even the shows I was allowed to watch on TV, the father figure, the dad, would always be sort of the, the, the idiot, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, the dad was always kind of a moron. Uh, the mom was usually represented as being responsible. And the mom was represented as being intelligent, which I think moms are. Come on, we need moms. It's not a downer against moms. Uh, but the dad was always kind of represented as like basically obsessed with sex and sports, entertainment, and basically, you know, usually beer belly, look, looking, living for the weekend. It's kind of like your uh, uh, Al Bundy, uh, you know, representation. The dad was usually not depicted as a intelligent, uh, you know, destiny-driven uh, type person. So the dad was either kind of abusive or he was absent or he was represented as an idiot. And it's interesting because that has continued on even into our, our, this day and age. Like Bethany and I, our kids will be like, hey, we want to watch shows. And it used to be that if it was Disney Channel or Nickelodeon or a kids network, that it was good. And you just look at the rating. Is this PG or below? Is it G or Y or whatever? Nowadays, though, we have to watch out for the absolute propaganda that is being shoved down our children's throats uh, on, on TV. 
I'm just getting stirred up again, guy. I'm just going to do it again. He's look. I mean, he's if mute me if you need to, but you know, I'm just going to do it. How many of you know entertainment plus agenda equals propaganda? So when you have an agenda that's being forced into something, uh, that that is a uh, that's what we have. So it used to be you could just you could just trust like oh it's Disney Channel or it's Nickelodeon or whatever, so it's great. But actually now we have all types of sexual uh, things that are being communicated, worldview issues. And that's, that's, that's kind of surface level stuff. But then there's a deeper agenda there. And, and again, I'll even still see this in the shows that sometimes my kids are watching is the dad typically is an idiot. He's not spiritually aware. He's not culturally aware. He's not intellectually aware. He's basically asleep, obsessed with sex, sports. And it's this, this thing has been foisted where this idea that we have about men is that men are basically kind of like, you know, glorified cavemen. They're like cavemen with basically polos, you know. And, and, then, and, and men are also uh, feminized in many ways, taken out of uh, their, their God-given place and role. And so we see this in television. We see this in entertainment. This is what we see in our culture. And uh, it's very problematic because what's happening is there's actually a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know that in our day and age, fatherlessness, where the father is either absent or fathers just kind of suck at their job, uh, pardon my language, but it's true, um, is a huge problem in our culture. And this is not just a religious issue or a political issue. This is a uh, scientifically studied out sociological issue in homes where the father is not present and or he is not present in his role doing his God-given job. Crime goes up, uh, uh, issues with kids being broken mentally, uh, even physically having issues, sicknesses and things. It all is, it, it's all elevated when the father is not doing his job. And it's because it's an aberrant to what the pattern that God established. God, God ordained, uh, even biologically, which is being taken down in our day and age, which is insane because this is not a religious issue. There are two biological sexes. That's not a religious statement. It's not a political statement. That's called sanity. But what happens is in an insane culture, the person actually saying something sane sounds insane. Right? Yeah. So back to, back to this. You guys are getting too riled up right now, okay? Just chill out a little bit. Just relax, okay? You just feel it. Everybody's excited. Yeah, let's go. Uh, what happens is, I don't even know what I was talking about, Bethany. I just I got too excited. Yeah, there's, there's in our culture, uh, things that are crazy have been elevated and, and all these things. Here's what I wanted to make the point about fatherhood. When you t- talk about strategy, what is strategically appropriate is that you would try to attack and defeat the strongholds of your enemy. The area that is of strategic importance is the area that you try to attack and go after, right? So used to be in warfare, we've gone through generations. Historically, in antiquity, you'd have two guys. You know, Joe and Mark would be of tribe A and Kyle and I'd be of tribe B. And we'd run out with swords and we'd attack each other, right? Ah! You know, coming at each other. That's first generation warfare, okay? Second generation warfare is we, we as human beings got a lot more civilized, so we started using muskets. <laughs> you know, shooting at each other, right? It was a much more gentleman, gentlemanly way to fight uh, war. It would be like, you know, the Revolutionary War or something like that. As it progresses through history, we go into further generations of warfare. We start using tanks and we start using airplanes and missiles. And now in the world, you don't even have to be there on a battlefield. There's drones, 
right? You can have an airplane that flies over. You never even hear it or see it, whatever, and it still shoots you with a missile. Warfare progresses generationally, but I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but we're now in a new generation of warfare called fifth generation or even sixth generation warfare, which is where you defeat your enemy by not uh, beating them with tanks or, or swords or guns, not even ever actually showing up on the battlefield and not even firing a single shot, but rather uh, infiltrating their ideology and worldview and actually eroding them from the inside out. We are in the age of informational warfare. So what we see is that you look at the, the, the United States of America, but it's not just our nation. It's actually what we know as the West, uh, the Judeo-Christian worldview as it, as it came into being in the political and sociological structures of our world. The West has actually been infiltrated with a bunch of insidious ideas that are eroding us and defeating us from the inside out. One of them, and these are these insane ideas that are absolutely illogical completely, not against a particular religion, but actually against uh, axiomatic reality and truth, such as science and mathematics, where we see the, the use of science not as, a, uh, not as what science actually is, which is a, a four-step process, right? People will say things like this. Uh, well, you don't believe in science. You can't believe or disbelieve in science. Something, science is a process. When somebody says, well, you don't believe in science, what they're, what they're actually saying is that this is a belief system. Thank you, Lyric. This was the story that she helped provide for me. <laughs> She's laughing. Uh, they, they, what they're saying is that science to them is actually a worldview or an ideology or a belief system rather than a recognition of natural law and processes working out in society. So in our day and age, we have all of this craziness. Now you go, what are you talking about today? This is kind of going all over the map. There is a point, I promise. And if, if there's not, you at least get beef jerky, dads, at the end, okay? So just bear with me here. But what we have is a, is a world gone mad, and this, this warfare is actually taking place in the area of information and worldview and beliefs, and it's eroding us as a society and a culture from the inside out. And one of the areas that we find, how do you know what is important? Where does the enemy attack? He attacks in the area of strategic importance. So why is there such an agenda against fatherhood? Why is there such an ag agenda against strong dads? Why is there such an attack? Why are men represented as stupid troglodytes, right, without any spiritual or cultural or intellectual awareness? Why is that? Because what is feared is when men actually step into their God-given role as the spiritual and intellectual uh, luminaries and leaders in their home, but also in culture at large. And so when you diminish masculinity, oh, it's toxic masculinity. There is such a thing as toxic masculinity, but that's not the problem with our world. The problem with our world is not that men are too strong. It is that they are too weak. Because a strong man will lead in, the, in every area, the spiritual, the intellectual. Come on. Men oftentimes are, are less spiritual. This is actually one of the things that really irritates me as a pastor and as a disciple of Jesus is that where fathers and men should actually lead their families in the spiritual endeavor, oftentimes it's women that lead in these areas. And there's nothing wrong with women being spiritual leaders because women can be spiritual leaders. Bethany and I, I'm not the spiritual leader of my home. We lead together. There's nothing wrong with that. But what you often see is the woman pulling really hard in the spiritual area. And dad is basically living, you know, for the weekend. How many beers can I get into my system on Saturday? And how many sports can I watch? And all of that. And they're not engaging in their God-given role as spiritual leaders in the home. And it's every facet, every phase. The educational area of the home. How many of you parents and families throughout this past year recognized the bankruptcy of the education system in our world? 
because we've, we've basically wanted to outsource the education of our children. Can I tell you, there's a word for that, and I don't have to go very deep into my vocabulary to find it. It's called stupid. <laughs> that we've outsourced education to, to people with an agenda and a worldview that is not only different, but contrary and destructive to the gospel. And destructive to even common sense. And even if you don't even want to be a Christian, the beauty and the wonder of the Western world that has been founded and based upon the Judeo-Christian worldview, even if you don't want to be a Christian, which I don't recommend, but if you don't want to be, you should at least want to protect the glory of our Western world, which has led to the greatest breakthroughs in human history. But what, what's happening is there's an attack, an assault against the pillars and the strategic areas of importance, and one of those is fatherhood. I haven't started my message yet. But it goes deeper than this. It's not just an us and them, rah, 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 it's the bad world and the good us. No, it's actually deeper than this. You see, God himself represents as father. When Jesus' disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he said, okay, here's how you pray. Our father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. And yet in our day and age, because of the failure of fatherhood, because of the attack against fatherhood, but even because of the abuse and absence of fathers, the actual brokenness that is the manifestation, the seeds that have been planted, assaulting that stronghold as it has fallen, what we now live in is the reality of a brokenness in this area of fatherhood. And so many people have experienced absolute and utter catastrophe in their lives because of the failure of fathers who are either absent or abusive or some mixture of both of those. And what has happened is our perspective and our idea of God has been distorted and broken, leading people to be disconnected and not able to relate to God as father. Can I tell you something? In our culture, people love the effeminate representation of God. We even, even our songs in church oftentimes are more feminine in the way that they're worded. You know, it's like we sing songs. How many of you men ever feel uncomfortable sometimes? Like it sounds like you're kissing Jesus on the lips or something. Like you're like, <laughs> wow, I mean, I won't do that to my wife, but like not Jesus. You know what I mean? If you actually go back into the history of the church, some of the songs were a little bit more masculine focused and they sang about God as a victorious warrior and a mighty fortress is our God. How many of you are like, that sounds good, you know? We need some of these songs like, bum, 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 you know? You go, oh, you're, you're criticizing ladies or the effeminate. No, 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 no. That's an aspect of God. God, God encompasses both of the beautiful aspects of femininity, the beautiful aspects of masculinity. So what's interesting, though, is even in the church that we've sort of elevated the feminine and the expression, everything's lovey-dovey, and oh, if I offend you, Matt, like, oh, I'm so sorry, and everything's really dialed down. And then when you hear a real masculine thing, it's like, oh, What's going on? But see, here's the deal. God is father. Culture doesn't like this idea of the father because the father is the one that actually does the discipline. The father is the one that gets in the kid's face and says, hey, cut it out. Stop being an idiot. You shouldn't say that to your children. You'll wound their inner child. 
well, I don't want to wound their inner child. I want their inner child to grow into a, like a decent human being. So God is father. There's an aspect of God that brings justice and judgment upon screwed up dysfunctional behavior. And what's happened is when you get rid of that and you reject God as father, what we end up getting is basically a weak, neutered, castrated Santa Claus version of God that is not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible gets vehemently angry about sin. The God of the Bible actually pays with his own blood to deal with the screwed up mess of humanity. The God of the Bible says, I'm your father. And the God of the Bible is father. He would die for his children, and he does. But as a culture, we've rejected this idea of God, and there's so much brokenness, it's created difficulties. And so today, as we unpack the scripture and look at God, I want to do three things. I want three things to happen. Number one, I want us to get a better perspective of God and be able to relate to him as father and embrace his discipline, his chastisement, the, that aspect of father that's a little bit scary, that's a little bit fearful. It's like, ooh, dad's a little bit, he's got that, that lion growl, you know? It's kind of a little bit scary sometimes. We need to have that view of God, that idea of, of father, that we can actually relate to him as a father that we can have a better relationship, number two, with our own fathers, because there is so much brokenness in this area, and that if you are a father or a spiritual father, which we're all called to be, that we would be good fathers. Because, as we're going to see throughout the course of this message, where culture and society is weak, the father spirit is called to be strong. Where the child is unfaithful, the father is called to be faithful. And so we, as men of God, as fathers in the house, and as believers are called to stand strong in the midst of weakness in culture. So you guys know we're in a series called Fruit by the Foot. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It just so happened that today on Father's Day, the fruit that we're on is the fruit of faithfulness. And I think it's such a, a powerful uh, uh, divine coincidence here, right? That, that God put it on, put that this lined up this way because... I think the heart of a father, a good father, and, a, and, a, and, and of God himself, the father, is a heart of faithfulness. It says in Galatians 5.22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Somebody say faithfulness. faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. Our slogan for this series is where the spirit flows, the good fruit grows. We want the Holy Spirit. He produces these fruit, this, this fruit in our lives. And we want more of it, don't we? This word faithfulness, when you go into the original language, it's actually the same word as faith. That's what it is here. It's just used in a different uh, tense. In the, in the Greek language is the word pistis. And I'm not cussing or something. It's, that's actually the word, pistis. But in Scripture, this is interesting, uh, faith is always represented as not something that we as human beings produce or create. Uh, we don't have the ability to actually produce pistis. We don't have the ability to produce faith. Um, Faith is always a gift from God. God gives you the ability to have faith, which is in line with what we're reading about the Holy Spirit. He produces this fruit. We don't produce it. He produces it. We tend to use the word faith basically uh, interchangeably with the word belief. So I'll say, oh, I believe you. You told me this thing, Rob. You told me this story. I believe you. How many of you think about faith like that? Like, I believe this. I believe in God. And so I have faith. That, that's, a, that's a part of it. But it's not the whole thing. The reality is belief is a choice, but faith is a gift. So what's being talked about here is the type of faith that's actually a gift or the type of faithfulness 
Uh, that's a gift from God. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to have faith in God. So when we have faith, it says in Scripture, it's impossible to please God without faith. But we don't create that out of our own nature. We don't just have that. It's something that God gives us. Hebrews 11, chapter 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The things that we hope for as believers is we hope for heaven. We hope for an eternity uh, apart from sin and death and destruction. We hope to get out of the brokenness and fallenness of our world. We believe, we have faith that what God said, that when we trusted in Jesus, we'd be saved, that when we died, we wouldn't go into an eternity apart from God, but we'd actually move into eternal life and be with God and our fellow brothers and sisters in the kingdom. We don't see that right now. How many of you know this world is not heaven? For a lot of people, this world is hell. And for all of us, at some point in our lives, it's hell. For Bethany and I, it's when we're in the car with our kids and they won't, you know, we're like, oh, no. It's having fun. But for some people, it's actually hell. The abuse, the dysfunction, the brokenness, the addiction, whatever has manifested in their life. So what is our faith in? What is the substance what is the thing that we hope for? We hope for heaven. We hope for reconciliation. We hope for redemption. And faith is the substance of that. It's the building blocks. You could say it this way, that faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. For something to happen in the spiritual realm, faith is required. Faith is the building blocks. Like my son, Jack, he's, he loves Legos. And they're so detrimental to my feet, you know. But they're all over the house. And those are the substance of something that you don't see, but it can be built out of that. Does that make sense? It's the currency of the kingdom of God. Now, interestingly, in ancient times, this word pistis, this word faith, was used like our word guarantee. Guarantee. Something that was a done deal in advance. So, you know, if you go and buy something, you go and buy a car, you buy a hot tub, and they go, hey, you're going to love it. I guarantee it. Which means in 30 days, if it, you don't like it, you come back and get your money back or whatever, right? How many of you enjoy guarantees? Helps you to buy something and feel good about the purchase, huh? What God does when he gives us faith is he says, hey, the promises that I've made to you, the promises that I've given to you about salvation and about what I'm going to do in your life, I'm going to put faith in your heart and it's a guarantee, it's a done deal in advance. When God speaks, you can take it to the bank. And that kind of faith is what we want to have. But on the flip side, when you take this and you turn it into an action or when you turn it into a quality of being and you call it faithfulness, what is being said is that you then are that type of person who when you speak, you can take it to the bank. That you walk with integrity, that your word is as good as gold. Now, in our culture, historically, this used to be kind of like, well, yeah, if you're a good person, if you're an upstanding citizen, like you speak, you say, if you're going to do something, you just do it. But in our day and age, it's all very contextual. Well, I told you that I would love you forever and be married and be faithful to you till death do us part, but things changed. Well, what do you mean? Well, I, I'm, gonna, I'm out of that now. Now I'm just going to go get, you know, all the oxen free, right? Because I gave you my word, but, you know, things change. How many of you know this is like the endemic? This is a problem in our culture. When it comes to divorce, when it comes to business, there was a young man that I was uh, discipling in our internship program many, 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 many years ago, and he's turned into an absolutely stellar, incredible person, but I was part of that process. So, uh, <laughs> He had made a commitment, and he said, I want out of my commitment. I said, no. And he said, well, well why? And I said, because you made a commitment. Well, I don't, I, things have changed. So? Well, I've, my circumstances are different when I made the commitment. I don't care. I didn't say it like that, but, you know, I was more gentle. But 
But bottom line, I was like, no, I'm holding my ground because I want you to honor your word. I don't even remember what happened. I think he actually didn't honor his word. He didn't. He left. But he ended up coming back and doing well later. We all make mistakes, right? There's multiple chances, okay? But, but in those moments, it was interesting to me because what I was hearing and seeing was the heart and the, and the idea and the level of a generation that had not been drilled in that your word, when you say you will, you do. That's faithfulness. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce. That's a characteristic and an attribute of God himself. And, and this is important, and I'll tell you why. It, it has everything to do with fatherhood. Uh, because this is a sterling quality. In fact, I would say it is the quintessential quality for a father to have, which is faithfulness, that the father can be counted on when circumstances change. See, it's great to be a father when your kids are obedient and everything's good, but when people come to invade your home and you're the one that has to like st step out and fight or engage in combat to protect your family, it'd be easy to go, well, I know I committed to protect you and you're my children or whatever, but now circumstances have changed and I'd just rather, you know, not get killed tonight. How many of you men ever think about this kind of stuff, right? I think about it all the time. Like, what, what am I going to do when they attack me? Like, I regularly have fantasies, uh, dark fantasies, about my home being invaded and like what I would do to protect my family. Any other men, you know, think like this? Okay, I'm not the only weirdo. Okay, yeah, it's all of us together. But the reality is that the faithfulness of Father God is a, is a quality that as, for us as fathers we want to possess. So let's, 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 let's talk about the faithfulness of God. In understanding this fruit, in understanding what God wants to produce. And this isn't just for fathers. Ladies, this is a message. I'm going to aim it at fathers. I'm going to speak through that lens. But, but you can grab hold of it for yourself. We need to examine this thought. It's the nature of children to fail but the grace of the Father to be faithful. It is the nature of children to fail or to make mistakes, to mess up. It is the grace of the Father to be faithful. I was thinking about this and I actually ran it by Bethany. I was like, hey, is this a theologically accurate statement? Can I preach this? And, and we agreed that we could, yes. Um, because I was meditating about this and I thought, every child fails. Let's take human fathers out of the equation just with God, your father, the expectations, the, the destiny, what he's put inside of you, the gifts and all of that. How many of you ever have failed, right? 100%, right? Because we're all children. Children, and some of us, even though we're grown, we're still children, right? In a lot of ways, right? We still make mistakes and we do the wrong thing and we go left when we should have gone right. It is the nature of the child to fail, but it is the grace of a father to not fail in the midst of their child's failing. It is the grace of a father, the heart of a father, this characteristic of faithfulness to remain strong in the weakness of the children. Every child fails at some point, and that's why parents are necessary. I was talking to a, a great guy after church in the first service, and we were talking about the message, and we were just talking about the idea that in our culture, this is insanity. We've given full autonomy to, to small children. If you have a five or a six or seven-year-old child saying they're not the gender that they were born and all this kind of stuff, can I tell you what happened to them? Somebody got a, some seed in their head, and they're being indoctrinated. And we have parents that, are, again, I'm going to go back in my vocabulary, are stupid and asleep at the switch who don't immediately go in, intercept, and say, hold on a second, that is not, that, that thought it doesn't need to be there. You know what? You are who God made you to be. 
when you're 25 or 30 and you've been educated and you're not being propagandized all the time and all this kind of stuff, which why would you even let your kids get propagandized? I want my kids to be missionaries. I don't want my kids to be missionaries until they're a missionary. Right now, they'd be missionized by the, a fallen and broken world. I'm going to oversee my children's education. Thank you very much. All right, just if the shoe fits, wear it. Somebody can learn something in church today. We were talking about the fact he has a 12-year-old niece, and she came home from school where her school counselor was telling her, well, you just you don't know what you are. You, get, you have to decide. So she said, I'm a boy now. Okay, let's, let's, do something, um, let's do something different, which is like, let's let people whose brains are all the way developed with, with like, you know, a scientific and a moral and a theological and, a, and an actually developed worldview help small children understand rather than allowing people with an agenda to shape and control and distort and destroy children. Kids are wet cement. They are shapeable. They are easily influenced. It's fascinating to see my children, how they will mirror Bethany and I. If I'm complaining, they start complaining. If I'm praising God, they start praising God. Man, right there is a message, isn't it? If I'm being and moaning about church and being and moaning about my job and being and moaning about this person and that person, all of a sudden you realize you've raised a little being moaner because they're wet cement. But when they see me, I, I put this out on Twitter and it got a lot of likes. I said, hey, dudes, let your kids see you kiss your wife right on the lips. Because I want my son to be like, wow, dad and mom, they got it going on. You know, they'd be like, gross, but they actually love it. They're wet cement. I want them to see a loving, monogamous, faithful man of integrity loving a woman. I want them to see mom and dad every single Sunday in God's house with our hands up in the air, worshiping God, bowing down at his altar. I want them to see us every single day open our Bibles and connect with the God of the universe. I want them to see us love each other. I want them to see us love them. I want the, them to see us love you guys. I want them to see us love our city. I want them to see us serving because I want them to have the heart of the kingdom of God, not the heart of a culture that is fast into destruction. It's the nature of children to fail but the grace of the Father to be faithful. Every child fails, but that's why we need parents. Do not abdicate your role to shape the worldview and the theology and the belief system and the righteousness of your children. I've said so many stupid things in my life and my dad would be like, stop. Stop. That's dumb. <laughs> Think about how many kids would rather just eat ice cream and not go to school. Ice cream every day, no school. How many of you, when you were 10, 9, if somebody came along and was like, hey. Yeah, have you ever seen Pinocchio? It's like the island. You know what I'm saying? Just watch Pinocchio, right? If somebody came to me as a nine, 8 or 9-year-old, I wasn't a self-actualized human being with my own, you know, perfect understanding. No, I was like a dumb 9-year-old with a brain that didn't work all the way yet. And I needed to be helped. 
So I would say stupid stuff, and my dad would be like, nah, it's stupid. Okay, it is stupid? Yes, that's stupid. You're going to go to school, and you're going to eat broccoli. Well, I don't like it. I don't care. How many of you know that's called being a parent because it's the nature of kids? They need help. But some people now are so smart, their brain is so, their mind is so open, their brain fell out. It's like, well, my kids, you know, they're just going to find their own way. Yeah, they're going to find their own way into death. When my brother was like four or five, he wandered off on a camping trip and the whole church had to go search for him at family camp because he was moving towards the lake. We were just at Kayla and Kyle's house last night and Elliot was going by the fire and Kyle jumped up and ran over to get him. Oh, Kyle, just let him actualize. He's just pursuing. He doesn't know who he is right now. No, he still get burned. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to make it pretty clear. Parent your children. All right. So when I was a kid, I was a teenager. Uh, my parents trusted me. They were like, we're going to go on this uh, retreat with our elders. We're going to go up to the cabin or whatever, you know, and have a church retreat. And you're going to stay with the Martinez family. And uh, I was with my friend Aaron. And, you know, you need to stay there. You're, you know, responsible, whatever. We're going to give you the key to the house. But we don't want you to go to the house because we're not going to be there. But just in case you need to get something, here's the key to the house. So, of course, I used my responsibility and freedom to take my friends, boys and girls, and we went in the middle of the night to my house and watched a terribly uh, uh, inappropriate R-rated movie, perverted and gross, whatever. Uh, you know, I don't even know why. I can't, it doesn't make sense to me now, but at the time, it was like a great idea, you know? And so we went as teenagers. We're in the house. We get out really late at night. Uh, I felt guilty the entire time because I totally knew it was wrong, but I kept doing it. And then we went. Uh, we drove along, and all of a sudden, we saw the blue and the red lights behind us. We got pulled over. Cop says, hey, you guys are all out way past curfew, and we got curfew tickets. Now, I didn't go to jail or anything, but they called my parents. The police officer gets my parents on the phone at like 2 in the morning. Is this Steve, Kim Schmelzer? Yes. I have your son Jacob here. What's wrong? What's going on? He's fine, but he's out past curfew, and he's getting a curfew ticket. Do you know his whereabouts? And so I had to get on the phone with my parents. What are you doing? Um... Er, ah, uh, e. I was doing the whole do a deer a female. I just didn't have anything to say, and uh, there were ramifications. Come on, consequences. My parents didn't throw me out of the house. They didn't disown me or something, but they grounded me or punished me or whatever. I don't remember what happened, but they challenged me. They arrested that behavior. They said, "Look, that's not okay. We trusted you." They actually had to do some parenting. They didn't destroy my self-esteem by telling me that I shouldn't be out with my friends watching R-rated movies at 2 in the morning and getting curfew tickets. They helped me grow into a more faithful person by challenging me in that area. The reality is every kid fails. How many of you did stupid stuff as a kid, a teenager, whatever? It happens. That's, have you ever heard this, the phrase, oh, they're just a kid? Kids do stupid things. But you know who's more stupid than kids doing stupid things? Adults who don't think, who let kids do stupid things without actually being a parent. So we understand and expect that our children will fail, and that's where the nurture, discipline, and correction of parenting and training come into play. But here's the thing I want to unpack today. We're going to get a little bit deeper in this, and then we'll go eat some beef jerky and go have fun. In our culture, the attack against fatherhood has actually created erosion, and there's problems. And so most people don't have the benefit that I have. I know that I'm very lucky and very blessed. I've had a stable father who loves Jesus, who loves my mom. They're still married. We just went camping with him this week. You know, my dad putters around. His body doesn't work, but his, his brain kind of doesn't work either. But, you know, I mean, he's still, 
No, <laughs> I'm just teasing. He's, all, he's great. But we have a great relationship. My mom, and they're still in love. It's amazing. And that is so rare for most people. Most people have not, don't have that. So I, I recognize that I'm very blessed. And, I, and I, I take it very seriously that I was given a gift, uh, whether by God or by chance, you know, to, to, to take what my dad actually was there to do for me and be for me. And I honor him every day. He's my hero. There was a moment where I thought he was going to die. And I, he was having a heart attack, you know, and I basically was able to get down next to him and I was crying and I was saying over and over, dad, you're my hero. My hero. He is my hero. He's an amazing dad. But so many people don't have that. And what we see is the failure in our generation of fathers usually goes along one of two rails. One of them is absence, that they're just not there. They abandon, they, they flee, they get out of responsibility or they whatever. And the other one is abuse, where maybe the father is physically there, but he's abusive. He's emotionally or verbally abusive or physically abusive, heaven forbid. And the father is a distortion of what God is meant to be. And so for many people, this has really affected them in their life. The, the father wound, you could call it, the brokenness in this area. But this is the thing, like I said, it's the nature of children to fail. We expect that kids will make mistakes. We expect that kids will fall, will fail, will go left when they should have gone right. But the grace of the Father is to be faithful and not fail, which is why it's such a failure when a father does fail, when a father is absent or a father is abusive. It's such a, it, it creates such brokenness. It's like a deeper wound. It's almost like there's a shattering on the surface, but then it infects as it goes down deeper because it's the nature of children to fail, but it's the grace of a father to be faithful. The reality is that when uh, our children are weak, we are meant to be strong. In the same way that when we are weak, he is strong. You see, my kids are weak often, and that's okay because they're kids. Jack and Evie and Penny, they get in ridiculous fights. They argue about TV. I'll be like, you guys can watch a show. And then they're like fist fighting. And I'm like, what happened? Did somebody like steal from you or like cut you with a knife? They're like, no. Penny said that she was going to let me watch this for 15 minutes, but then Jack's... They always have the most elaborate contractual agreements, you know, children... And very, very interesting sense of justice. And so now, you know, Evie took the remote. And so now we've decided that physical violence is the right approach. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, what are you doing, right? But they're, they're weak. Well, they're kids. That's to be expected, isn't it? But imagine if my children are like, Dad, you know, Evie hit me. She hit me. This Penny did this. It's a stupid head. She called me a stupid head. And I'm like, I don't know if your mom, she was mad at me and I got from work and I was there and Mark was asking me to write a letter and I had to do this and Kyle had to make the, I know, it's horrible. That's pathetic. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious, isn't it? But you know, dad's not supposed to throw a temper tantrum. Dad's not supposed to lose his mind. Why? Because the father is meant to carry the grace of faithfulness. That amidst the weakness of the children, the father actually is strong. And says, hold on a second, everybody go to your corner. We're actually going to use some wisdom and righteousness and justice, and we're going to sort this out. And even if you can't sort it out, at least you're safe and secure and strong to be, to be strong where there is weakness. That is the picture of, of what a father is meant to be. It's the nature of children to fail, but the grace of the father to be faithful. And Jesus communicates this to us in a beautiful story in Luke chapter 15, which we know is the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, this younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. And we find out in the story that after he spends all his wealth and he's wasting it with prostitutes and going crazy in the story, he ends up working at a farm and he's eating what the pigs eat. He comes to his senses. He goes back to his father. He realizes if I could just go to my father, even my father's servants eat better than I do, I'm going to beg my way back in uh, just to be a servant in my father's house. So the, the prodigal son comes to his senses. He's a picture of all of us in our sin and our failure as a, in our wayward living where we go, I want to come back to the house of God. You have to come as a servant though, right? You have to have that humility. He says, I'll just be a servant. And we pick up the story it says in verse 20, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's the nature of a child to fail. We are all children and we're all children of God and we've all failed. And we've actually put ourselves in a position where we are no longer worthy to be called his son or his daughter. But watch where the father is faithful even when we are unfaithful. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate Though the younger son was unfaithful, the father was faithful. And he restored him and redeemed him and brought him back into sonship. But the father had two sons. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? Your brother has come, they replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Listen to this word right here. So his father went out. Where the son refused to go in, the father went out. Where the son wouldn't take a step towards what was right, the father said, I'll take a step towards what's wrong so I can make it right. Where the son wouldn't go in, the father stepped out. And he said to him, he pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, again, he's distancing himself, not my brother, but the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said. Listen to the language here. Your son, distancing, the father says, you're my son. Where he won't go in, the father comes out. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father in heaven, the real father, the picture of a father and what we're meant to be as fathers, though we fall short, this is what God wants to produce in us, this characteristic and fruit of faithfulness. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. You know, all of us are unfaithful in some way. Some of us are like the younger son. The younger son was unfaithful in his deeds. He went out and lived his life with wildness. He was getting hopped up on juice berries or whatever he was doing. He was with prostitutes. He was going crazy. He was living wild. He was living prodigal. Don't raise your hand if that's you, but it might be you. Some of us, though, we grew up in church. 
I've never done drugs. I don't even know where to get drugs. People are like, that guy's selling drugs. I'm like, is he? I didn't know because I actually don't know anything about this world. doesn't make me a better person. I have a rotten, religious, ugly, wicked heart of a Pharisee, which is probably a little bit harder for God to save, like the older brother. Because sometimes people that grew up in church or religious think they're okay without God, right? You've earned your way. I've slaved for you, God. I showed up at church every Sunday. And yet you never gave me a fattened calf. The younger son was unfaithful in his deeds, unfaithful in his actions. The older son was unfaithful in his heart. But they were both unfaithful. The story of the prodigal son is not about a faithful son and an unfaithful son. It's about two unfaithful sons and a faithful father. God is always faithful. He's a perfect father. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. In 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You are going to be, you have been, and you will be unfaithful to God. Unfaithful to your calling, unfaithful to who God's called you to be. But the beauty of the gospel is you have a father who is always faithful. And the second point I want to make is this, that even in our unfaithfulness, he's faithful. But his faithfulness, that loving kindness, that faithfulness, that commitment, that God being strong when I'm weak is actually what helps me to become faithful. When, when I am weak and my father says, look, son, there is correction, there is discipline, there are consequences, but I'm calling you back into sonship. I'm, I'm, I'm elevating you back to your position as a son. It actually creates in me the desire to be like my dad, to be faithful like him, and to follow him and be what he's called me to be. God's faithfulness brings restoration and healing. He restores us to our sonship and our inheritance. In the story of the prodigal son, when he comes back, he says, I want to be a servant. The father says, no, you don't get to be a servant. There are no servants and there are no grandkids. There's just sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. You don't get to be God's grandkid. You can't be grandfathered in. Oh, my grandpa was a Christian, so I'm a No, God only has sons or daughters. And you don't get to come and be a servant, meaning you don't get to come and earn your way into it. That's not how it works. You're going to serve, but as a son or a daughter. So when the prodigal son comes and says, I want to be a servant, the father says, no, go get the robe. The robe is the mark of the father's affection. Think about the story of Jacob and Joseph in the Old Testament. He gets the coat, the robe of many colors. Uh, it was the sign of affection. I love this son. I treasure this son. This is the apple. He's the apple of my eye. That's what God thinks about you. You come with a big mess in your hands and he looks at you with loving kindness and says, hey, we got to clean up this mess. There are consequences. There is discipline. There is training that needs to happen. But I love you. And he puts the robe of affection. Then he puts the ring on his finger. The ring is the mark of authority. It's the signet ring. It's that ring that says this is a stamp. I represent this house. I have authority. When God brings you back into sonship, he puts the ring of authority on your finger. So what the enemy has taken from you, where you become somebody's punk and you've been under the thumb of the, the kingdom of darkness, when you come into the kingdom of God, you don't just get to be a servant in some room somewhere. You come and you sit at the table and you wear the ring of authority where you can speak to the demonic and say, get down under my feet, Satan in Jesus' name, because you wear the authority of your father I could preach on that a long time. I'm going to keep going. And the sandals are the mark of provision. That what you had lost in your poverty of sin and destruction and waywardness 
You don't even have shoes on your feet. And when you come to the Father's house, he says, give him sandals. Now I provide for your needs. You don't have to take care of yourself. I will provide for you and take care of you. And that unfaithful son was loved and brought back into fellowship by a faithful father. Likewise, the older son, who also was unfaithful in a different way, unfaithful in his heart, the father tells him, not, hey, son, get it right. Work harder. He says, son, everything I have is yours. Where we are pulling back and unfaithful from God and covering ourselves and guarding ourselves, the father's rushing to us and continuing to give and pour out and lay everything out for us. It is the nature of children to fail. It is the grace of the father to be faithful. The father says to the older son, everything I have is yours. If you don't get anything else out of today, which there was a lot of things said today, hopefully you get something, but if you don't get anything else, I would pray that you would get this picture of God, of how faithful he is and that he loves you and that he cares for you and that even in your unfaithfulness and weakness, however that manifests, that God is faithful to you and you can trust him and you can love him. And dads, this is the picture of how we are to be, that we are to grow up that we're not to just be uh, troglodytes and just kind of living for the weekend and have no purpose. God wants you to represent him to your family. He wants you to begin to lead your family intellectually. He wants you to begin to lead your family spiritually. He wants you to begin to be aware of the times and the seasons of culture and watch out for the enemy that's coming to try to steal and wreck your family. Listen to me for one second. Wait, 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 wait. I was listening to a song by Kanye West on his uh, Jesus is King album, and it's called Close on Sunday, Chick-fil-A, that song, you know, if you know what I'm talking about. Kanye has a bunch of terrible, nasty music, but God apparently has saved him, okay, which is amazing. And he's singing on that song. Here's somebody, it's, it almost makes me feel sad because I'm like, where was that message in the church? God has to save a rapper that's, which is awesome too, you know what I mean, but He's singing on that song, Satan, get your hands off my family. And I'm like, that's the voice of a father. If you don't hear it from your pastor, hear it from your rapper, but hear it. (laughs) Hear it, listen to it, and buy it. Men, you're called to lead. You're called to be strong in the face of weakness, which means some of the weak areas in you, you got to get them strong. You got to go to God and say, God, deliver me from these addictions. Deliver me from this, uh, these things that pull me away from you. Deliver me and, and create faithfulness in me. I want to have a faithful and a clean heart so I can walk like you for my family. Satan, get your hands off my family. But God, he, his faithfulness is what leads us to faithfulness. So men... There's always another football game. Somebody's always going to win some bowl. They're always going to win some Super Bowl, some bowl. Somebody's going to get a bowl of something. But you only got one shot with your children. Man, I love the Oregon Ducks. You guys know I love the Ducks. I'm a huge Ducks fan. If it came between the Ducks and the Schmelzer kids loving Jesus, not a hard decision. Not a hard decision. Well, we're going to be at the lake on Sundays. No, no, no. Be in the house of God. Figure out a way to go to the lake on Saturday. Do whatever you need to do, but don't don't fail your kids in this. Serve God. Be faithful to him. 
because that is enough even. Love your wife. We heard a comedian one time say the secret to a long marriage is just keep going home to the same woman every night. Just keep going. (laughs) Yeah. God is so faithful. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for this word. I pray that God, it would not fall on bad soil, but it would be planted as a seed and it would grow. Lord, that we would look at your faithfulness and it would create faithfulness in us. I pray for the fathers in the house. Right now, I just lift them up to you, God. I come against the attack, the insidious attack against fatherhood in our culture. These men are not dumb. They're not stupid. They're not worthless. They're not failures. They're men of God. They're called to lead their family. They're called to make, uh, to create businesses. They're called to uh, lead churches. They're called to do great things. They're called to fix some of the insanity that's going on in our culture. I pray God for a spine to grow in some of these men, that Lord, they would rise up and begin to speak against the insanity that's going on in school boards, going on in communities, going on in neighborhoods. They begin to stand up and say, look, I might sound crazy because I'm the only one who's sane in the midst of an insane culture, but this is what my Father in heaven says about me, and so I'm going to speak life, and I'm going to speak destiny. God, I pray that the men of this house would rise up as fathers in our community, that even as our community fails children and is weak and crazy, that we would stand up and say, we're going to love these kids. We're going to provide a safe place for them. We're going to build this church up and put a playground inside, not so we can have a nice place to sing cute songs on Sunday, but so we can have a place where kids can come to escape the insanity around them. We're going to rise up as men of God, fathers in the house of God, prophetic men of destiny who walk with authority under the affection and the affirmation of their father, no longer broken, no longer addicted, no longer under the thumb of Satan, but crushing him under our feet as we walk before you, Lord, loving our wives, raising our children, and making a difference in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Please bow your head and close your eyes. This morning, if there's anybody here that wants to put their faith in Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. The very first step is to surrender our will and our life to him and to come like the son and say, I'll just be a servant in your house. I don't want this world. I don't want my own thing. I don't want to continue to serve myself or serve Satan. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to come to you. Jesus is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we will trust in him. You can put your faith in Christ today. So if that's you and you want to believe in Jesus, would you raise your hand so I can see? Anybody in this place, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus and trust in him as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. You can pray along with us online. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I thank you for saving me. Thank you for paying for my sin at the cross where you gave your life for me. I give you my life and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.